Greetings, my friend. Welcome back to the Wayfair Weekend Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Tom Vanderwell. Before we get into the weekend podcast and my interview with Mark Scandrat, let me uh, just do a couple of quick housekeeping things. First of all, our chapter day journey is about a third of the way through the book of Matthew. Remember that you can find chapter a day posts that are indexed by the book of the Bible at tomvanderwell.com. Right at the top of the page on the right, you'll see a picture and it says chapter a day posts by book. All you have to do is click on that link and then it will bring up a list of books. You just click on whatever book you like that's listed there. It'll take you to an index page and on that index page, there's going to be a list of photos. Each photo links to each chapter. Just look at the caption uh, for the chapter you're looking for and click on the photo, take you to the post and podcast if it's available for that chapter. It's easy. As far as messages go, for those in the Palahan surrounding area, check out the upcoming messages page at tomvanderwell.com. Just click on upcoming messages right at the top of the page. Got a handful of messages coming up at Third Church. We're in a series on the Gospel of Mark. Next upcoming message is actually tomorrow, January 23rd, and then again next week, January 30th, in the Third Church Auditorium. On February 20th, I'll be doing all three services in the sanctuary. For those not in Pella, <laughs> you can always watch online on the Third Church YouTube channel, or just, again, go to TomVanderwell.com, click on Messages at the top of the page. I just uploaded the latest message from this last Sunday. I am so excited to introduce you to Mark Scandrett. Mark is the author, speaker, travels all over the world from his home in San Francisco. I recently read his book, The Ninefold Path of Following Jesus, Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. Mark joined me for a chat, and I'm pleased to share it with you. Here we go. Welcome back to the Wayfarer Podcast. I'm Tom Vanderwell. Thanks so much for joining me today. I've got Mark Scandrett with me. Mark is the author of The Ninefold Path of Jesus, Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. Um, Mark, thanks for joining me today. Uh, it's great to be with you, Tom. Yeah. Um, all right. Before we start, uh, first of all, let me just explain to my listeners how I uh, got connected with you. My one word for the year 2022 is blessed. And I emailed some people that I really value and said, hey, um, if my word is blessed, I probably need to think about the Beatitudes if you've got any great resources. And my pastor said, I'll be by your house this afternoon. And he brought me the book, uh, Mark's book, and I read it. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was wonderful. It just resonated so deeply within me. And so I asked Mark to join me today, and he's been kind enough to do so. So that's why you're here, Mark. And I would like to start by asking you to just kind of tell us your story. Tell us your spiritual journey. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'm 50 years old, so this could be a long story. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I'm 55 and I've got forever. So Okay. All right. Um, 
I grew up in Minneapolis. I'm from a very devout um, evangelical Christian background uh, in the Midwest. I uh, had an early encounter with Jesus and as a teenager, like was really captured by his invitation to come be a part of God's kingdom. And I've been trying to work it out since then. I have not generally been, com- I was never a good church kid though. And, um, but really discovered reading the gospels and trying to put the teachings of Jesus into practice that it made made me feel really alive. And so it's kind of been a gradual journey of learning how to deepen that experience of following the ways of Jesus with a lot of mistakes and missteps along the way. Um, I was, Lisa and I worked with kids and families in low-income housing projects for four or five years when we were first married. And then I spent three years as a pastor in Northern Minnesota. And our heart was always to live in a global city. So at about 26, we um, uprooted and moved to San Francisco, California. So we live in the Mission District, which is like a Latin arts district of San Francisco. And we've raised our three kids here who are now in their mid to late 20s. And um, I founded an organization called Reimagine. We call ourselves an, a center for integral Christian practice because we're passionate about helping people apply the teachings of Christ to the everyday details of life. I'm really into practical spirituality. And so we create labs and I write books and we design retreat experiences and urban experiences for people to to help people have those encounters. Yeah. That's awesome. And I was really blown away by the story of how the ninefold path came together because it came through a phone call uh, or a a reach out from a Buddhist monk. Tell us about that. Yeah. So there's two parts to the story. Um, I was in London in 2015 and some, uh, some friends, a group who'd asked me to lead a retreat for their Bible agency took me out to a pub afterwards one night and said, we're working on this project called Nine Beats, which is a global project exploring the Beatitudes as a, as a way of understanding the way of Jesus in the 21st century. And, um, you know, in the UK, very few young people are involved in churches anymore. Most people think of um, Christianity as irrelevant or even toxic. And so, but when you look at the Beatitudes and there's justice, peacemaking, um, you know, like things that really resonate with a, a lot of our deepest longings. So they said, Mark, you you have a background in like helping, helping make scripture pla- practical to life and designing these labs. You want to get in with us on this project and help us design a lab. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. So we, as we talked about what shape the, project might take, I said, you know what this all reminds me of? And here's the story you're, you're getting at, Tom, um, is um, I said, you know, years ago, when my first book came out, a Zen Buddhist priest contacted me and said, I saw your book at a bookstore in downtown San Francisco. And 
I read through a bit of it and I thought, I think this is a Christian that I could talk to about something going on in my life. And he said, he said, I had a Jesus encounter when I was a teenager, but was really turned off by my church experience. And so my spiritual longings turned east from there. And he said, but when I sit Zazen, I still hear Jesus calling to me and and Mm. I'm captivated by him. And I just don't know what to do with that. So I said, come to dinner, let's talk. And he came over and um, the second time we got together, we went for a walk around my neighborhood. And incidentally, like if you can ever get a Zen priest to go on a walk with you, you, it's a good way to, it's like, it's like taking a cute puppy with you, at least where I live, because um, lots of smiles and respectful nods and bowing in cafes and restaurants. But we're walking around and, and I said, um, Shinko, I'll be honest, I, I'm not that familiar with faith traditions outside my own. Um, as someone who identifies as, as Buddhist, when you, um, when you wake up each day, what do you seek to do and to be? And in about four minutes, he explained the, the um, four noble truths And then describe something he called the eightfold path. And he said, I wake up each day and I want to deepen my experience of these eight paths. And I was really impressed with how both clear and succinct it was, but also how concrete, like that he had some things, some things he was setting some intentions on each day. And then he turned to me and he said, Mark, you identify as a follower of Jesus. when you wake up each day, what do you seek to do and to be? And he, you know, he threw my question back at me and I was a little stumped. And I, I first thought, oh, I get to tell him how I became a Christian. But then I realized that's not the question. So, um, so I tried to recover and I said, I, I wake up each day and I try and love God with my whole being and love my neighbor as myself. And I sort of patted myself on the back, good recovery, but I was still haunted by the contrast between his answer and mine. That Mm -hmm. mine was kind of a bumper sticker, like Mm -hmm. 30,000 feet, and his was much more specific. And it always got me thinking, it got me thinking, was my answer vague and unspecific? because Jesus wasn't clear about his way or was my answer vague because I hadn't learned to pay attention to the Jesus way. And I actually think it's the latter that um, like, if you look at like my mentor, Dallas Willard used to say that the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount are like the curriculum for Christ likeness. But for, for the first part of my life, most of my attention when it came to my Christian identity and faith tended to be around Jesus was born. Who was he? And he died and he came back to life without, I I hadn't been trained to pay attention to what he taught about life, but it's all there. And so uh, I turned to these friends in the London pub and I was like, it's there. There's the, there's like the ninefold path of Jesus right there in the Beatitudes and some Mm -hmm. lines between those themes and those 110 verses from, from the Sermon on the Mount. Let's, uh, we can do something with this. Yeah. You know, I, as I was reading it just the other day, um, it came to me that 
reading the Beatitudes and then reading through the rest of the Sermon on, on the Mount, it's I sort of felt like the Beatitudes are the table of contents mm-hmm. to the rest of the message. Yeah. He sort of like he sort of like says, this is the way, and then he unpacks it in the rest of the message. Yeah, absolutely. There are, you know, I did a, quite a bit of reading and research as I wrote, the, you know, joined this project and wrote this book. And the, um, the, the, the predominant thought about the Beatitudes is that basically they're saying, Jesus was saying, the good life, the with God life is available to unlikely people. Um, and I, I don't disagree with that. And I'll, I'll, you know, since blessed is your word of the year, Tom, uh, that word in, in Greek is makarios and it means right. something like this person is living on a whole other level. They are godlike. They are extremely fortunate. And right. it's a term that I, like, I think the, like, in that time, and and I think we have the same tendency now, we think of the most wealthy, successful, and attractive people, and we go, their life is so much better than mine. They're blessed. That's Macarios. Yes, that's Macarios. So Jesus uses that word, but he's like, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. So, So the people listening to him are like, the poor are not Macarios. The, the the those who are mourning are not blessed, and so he is, I think, subverting that that cultural notion that only a few people get the good stuff, the most privileged and powerful, and right. so that is, I think, w- one of the things that Jesus is getting at with the Beatitudes is that nobody gets left out, nobody gets left behind. Wherever, whatever your story, wherever you find yourself right now. God's life can meet you in that and you can say yes. So that's, that's good news. The, I think there's something more dynamic going on with the Beatitudes because Jesus could have done that in four, three or four poetic phrases, but he did it in nine instead. And once you get into the fourth, fifth and sixth Beatitude, those are noble qualities. Those are not, undesirable. You know, it's great to be a person who hungers for righteousness and justice, to be someone who, uh, a person of mercy, a peacemaker, someone who's pure of heart. So I, I like to say, you know, um, it's, there's, it's a two punch deal here. um, You know, that, that unlikely that, 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 that everybody has access to it. And that maybe Jesus is actually naming areas of vulnerability that we have as human beings saying that there's, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you how to navigate these vulnerabilities of the human condition. And there's nine of them and nine flips that you may need to make in your heart and mind and body and relationships to live in greater coherence to reality. Yeah. And you, you also make the point in the ninefold path that that it can be argued that there's a progression in this. Yeah. And as you were just talking, I was just talking to um, a couple last night that I was doing some Enneagram coaching with who, 
who in their own words said, we've been to hell and back. But then later in the conversation talked about the fact that if we hadn't been through being stripped of everything, if we hadn't been through having to mourn our deep sinfulness, we never would have understood what they describe as, I would say, the more noble mm. um, beatitudes. And so I, I see that, where it's sort of like the poverty, the lamenting, the humility is what makes the way to understand the yeah. justice and yeah. the righteousness and the right motive. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's some steps, um, like, uh, you know, but I, what I think is interesting, well, l- l- let me get this out there uh, first, and then I'll, I can go, I feel like I can go deeper into the steps after this. So what if the Beatitudes name what I call first instincts? I'm borrowing a bit of the language from um, psychology on this. So, so for, first, I'm assuming, I'm trusting that Jesus had a accurate understanding of who God is, who he was, and how life works, an undistorted understanding of reality. Um, and to borrow a bit of the, the language of the Enneagram, each of us tends to have a, a, a somewhat distorted perception of creator, who we are, and how life works. And we're formed in that distortion. And so I think that um, the Beatitudes name those distortions. And wow, did you notice, Tom, that there are nine Beatitudes and nine Enneagram types? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did. I don't think it's accidental. Um, Because because Enneagram names nine kind of struggles, like gifts, but also struggles for a grasp on reality. Um, You know, distortions. So... There's a first instinct that I think is rooted in our in our neurology and biology, and those are those are survival strategies. But if we don't learn to transcend them and move to a higher state of consciousness, or to use Bible language to shift from the the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God, um, that that we'll end up yeah we'll we'll end up living in a in a diminished state. So like here, here's an example from the first beatitude, blessed are the poor or poor in spirit. Um, Our first instinct, when we realize that we are finite beings, that we come into this world and come out of our mother's body, it's cold, it's loud, it's too bright. Um, And, and our first instinct is to grasp our hands and, and, um, in protest and and stress that fight or flight response and cry out and to live in like this high cortisol state of anxiety. And eventually we need a caregiver to soothe us so that we can relax and get full access to our whole brains and, and to learn to trust in sources outside of ourselves. And um, so there's a flip, there's a movement from that first instinct. And, and in the book, I use some body postures to illustrate this closed hands versus open hands. Um, and interestingly, the second beatitude 
Jesus says, first learn to trust in the creator's care. We call I call that the way of trust. Open your hands mm-hmm. and trust. And then the next one, um, you know, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. I don't know if Jesus would have made it as a, a lifestyle guru in the 21st century if his, his second thing he says, you know, in his TED talk <laughs> is blessed are those who mourn. But it, it also makes sense. Like our first tendency it is pain avoidance to run yes. from what's too hard. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> what we need to do is to stop and face what's hard, to work through it, um, and to discover divine comfort in the midst of it rather than anesthetizing or numbing ourselves out. And um, and so there's a lot of great wisdom in that. And it see, it does, getting back to your, your stages or steps, it does seem like, first, I need to learn to open my hands and trust in God's care for me. Then I need yes. to join in mourning what's broken in me and what's broken in our world. Then I need moving into the third beatitude. I need to learn to affirm my inherent dignity and worth and the, and the equal dignity and worth of others. And they move along Mm. like that. Um, But it ends up in this, you know, um, in a, like, if you look at the whole string of nine, it ends up with suffering and with, overcoming fear to face death um, and and to die to the to the small self to the false self so um, you know that's that's a that's a very revolutionary way of looking at human development that it's a self-giving rather than self-preserving trajectory absolutely yeah and you know I just think that there is such a juxtaposition between the kingdoms of this world and what they say is Makarios blessed Mm -hmm. and the kingdom of heaven as Jesus described it and Mm -hmm. what he, what he called to it. Cause it, I had a a mentor of mine who once said, you know, the river of God flows upstream. It, It kind of flows in the opposite direction of what, you know, you would hear from the kingdoms of the world about what being blessed really is. Yeah. Yeah. Another thought I've had about this is that, um, so I think it's pretty common to look at the Sermon on the Mount and go, wow, there's some revolutionary teachings in there. Don't worry. Um, love your enemies, you know, uh, like turn the other cheek. And we go, that's that's hardcore, that's extreme, that's radical. And another way I'd like to look at it is if we could, if we could work those steps, those of the Beatitudes, if we could learn to see the world, ourselves, and creator as Jesus did, we would find it easy to live into those radical teachings, not burdensome, mm. but right. and, so in a way, I describe it, the Beatitudes is like the psychology of the kingdom of God. What do I, what, what, what do I need to come into contact with, with my whole self that would make it natural to turn the other cheek, to love my enemy, to bless those who curse me, to live in trust rather than worry or an, yes. an anxiety. Yes. It's sort of like the, it's sort of like the Sabbath principle, like, what was created to actually bring about goodness and life and fullness um, 
gets perverted into the shackles of fundamentalism yeah. <laughs> and rules that right. actually end up killing us and yeah. squeezing our souls. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Now, um, one of the things as I read through the ninefold path is you have been given an opportunity to, to teach this in some of the most amazing places around the world, among some of the most amazing audiences you've had access to. Um, I think at one point you say you, you presented this in a mosque and you, you've done it. Tell me about what God has done and just opening the opportunity for you to share. Yeah. Mindful path. Um, I love, I like kind of following where the rabbit, the rabbit trails go. And so um, one thing has led to another and I've um, had a chance to, you know, teach on this topic and in, in, of course, in the Wales and the UK and, um, and Bangladesh and East Africa and among Aboriginal friends in Australia, in Ecuador. And, um, we actually, so what, when I write a book, it's kind of the end of a project for me or, um, uh, or, a, a bookend of a project, I guess. And so, okay. So I've, I spent, before I wrote the book, I spent four or five years um, piloting and leading what we call the Ninefold Path Lab. And, um, and so we would invite people into a 10-week a experience or 10-session experience where we'd look at one beatitude, get real um, vulnerable and say, here's, Here's where I identify with the, the human ache that, of that beatitude. And then together we would do some exercises and take on some experiments, some pra daily practices, um, some journal exercises to and um, take some risks to see how we could work those things, into, uh, that, that, that reality into our lives. And um, that's what's been most exciting for me. How, give me a couple of your favorite stories of how you have seen God working through that in all of these different, different uh, labs. Yeah. Um, you know, each of, each of the Beatitudes has like an incredible punch to it. Um, a few things that come to mind. Uh, one is that second Beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. That points towards what I would describe as the way of lament what do we do when life doesn't make sense? And, um, and uh, when, when the systems are broken and um, when we feel pain and, and, and experience trauma, or when we realize that we've been the cause of somebody else's pain or, or trauma. And so for a lot of people in the Western world, particularly, um, seeing that this theme is right there in the teachings of Jesus and Jesus modeled it. He sat and wept over the city of Jerusalem because of the systemic injustice that had been going on there for hundreds of years. And so a lot, a lot of people have felt life in permission to mourn, um, to lament, to, to complain when they, uh, to complain to God 
to, to encounter their pain and, and uh, to share it with another person or a, a small group and um, allow that space. And I think a, a many people have said that there's not a lot of space for those, for those negative emotions and experiences in conventional um, churches or faith spaces, uh, pr- particularly in the West. And we see it right there that, 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 you know, in the pages of scripture that God invites us when life doesn't make sense to complain, mm. to, you know, ancient people knew how to do this, throw ashes on their head, tear their clothes, spend time grieving what's broken. And then especially in this age of, I think, a new awakening to racial injustice, many of us are realizing, wow, I have participated in systems and structures that I've benefited from, but have actually um, been the cause of pain for others. And, Mm -hmm. um, And that part of my discipleship journey is to sit with that. It's uncomfortable, but to sit with it and say, I'm, I am a person of privilege. You know, I'm, I live on land that was, that was stolen by genocide. I, I've benefited, you know, in the building of my family from, uh, you know, a, a country that was built on slave labor or on colonization, if you're from another part of the world. And, um, and not try and easily solve that, but, gr- mm-hmm. but take, take the time to grieve. We're going to repeat what we don't take the time to reflect on. And uh, I think we're in a moment where that's a really, where our uh, particularly, uh, I would say women and our minority brothers and sisters are inviting us to take that step um, right. because our, our future, our hopeful future together requires some of us to do that kind of grieving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And be willing to, to mourn with them. Mm-hmm. And to and and to mourn our own uh, place within it. Yeah. And, so for a, lo- yeah. a lot of folks in our labs, um, we ask people to you know to participate in a place as a as an experiment. Participate in a public event of mourning. You know, it could be going to a funeral, or it could be sitting with a talking with a. Fr- you know, a lot of times when someone's going through a difficulty. We tend to pull away because they bum us out or we're uncomfortable with their pain, but to move yep. in with it. Uh, we've had pe- we've had people in the lab go to their first protest. Uh, like they're they're not, they're not, they don't, I wouldn't identify as activists. And we say, just go to observe because protest is a place where people are grieving injustice. And so be there and as a, a, a to to bear witness to. The, the pain and grieving of others. And so that's been really powerful. Mm. Um, another one that stands out to me is the, the way of peacemaking, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. And, you know, we're in a time where we're really feeling the, the divides politically and ideologically in our country and in our world. And Absolutely. so, so, um, and, and it taps into that tendency we have that in, for instinct for us versus them thinking, but the deeper yes. reality Jesus knew is that despite the differences, we have more in common than we have that distinguishes us. And we're all yes. um, children of one creator, you know, one yes. family. So how do we reach past those differences to uh, reconcile and connect? 
And so in the lab, we, uh, and what I also suggest in the chapter in the book is some, some really practical steps to take. You know, one would be, is there anyone that I'm not in right relationship with right now? Mm -hmm. Can I, can I initiate some healing and some reconciliation? Um, be the first to, to step in and try. Um, where are the gaps I feel? Who do I tend to put on the other side of us and them? Yeah. Would I be willing to be curious and listen? I actually was in a small group um, going through this a few uh, few months ago. And one of the people in my breakout group was a very, very, had very strong feelings about vaccination because they have some chronic health issues. And if they got COVID, they, they would really be at risk for serious illness and death. And another person in our small group was an adamant anti-vaxxer. And <laughs> so they, for their homework practice, they said, let's have a conversation together oh, and try and understand yes. each other. We're, we're sisters in, in Christ. Let's, let's listen and be curious. And I thought that yes. was a really beautiful, uh, um, beautiful, beautiful thing. Another thing that, that um, I've actually been able to do personally was I thought about who, who are the communities that would be seen as the most other in my context. And mm -hmm. it, diff it differs from region and country, but um, you know, I, I thought for where I live, it's people from um, from Muslim or Islamic background, okay. and um, and so that prompted me to say, how could I connect with my Muslim brothers and sisters where I live here in San Francisco? And I got an opportunity to go visit a a local masjid or mosque and to develop a friendship with the imam and um, or the sheikh and. Uh, yeah, it's led to some really interesting encounters. When in a in the last presidential administration, uh, seven of the Islamic countries for a period of time were banned from traveling to the U.S. And I knew that this would affect the friends that I'd made at the mosque. And so I thought I'll stop by Friday prayer and just check in. And and I went that Friday. And after the um, after the the sheikh's sermon, he said, um, "He said, our friend, uh, our friend, Mr. Mark, uh, come on up. Is there a word you'd like to share with us?" And this happens pretty often uh. when I visit the mosque. So they hand me the microphone, and I'm there with a, <laughs> a couple hundred primarily uh, Yemenis Uber drivers. And and um, <laughs> what, what what do you have to share with us today? And and I just said, you know, I'm really grieving with you about this ban on travel because I know it affects you seeing your family, your children in Yemen. And, and I just want to know that we're all in this together and that, that with God's help, you know, we're going to see better times than this. And um, yeah, it was, it's, I, I love it to have those experiences of being a, being, being able to be a bridge and yeah. a, a connector and to break down those walls of division and hostility. I think it's part of Jesus. Jesus modeled it so well, crossing those boundaries to connect with women oh. and centurions yes. and people with infectious diseases and those yes. half-breed Samaritans. Oh. <laughs> I just, so yeah, in fact, you know, synchronicity. So just this morning, uh, my chapter day blog post was on, on uh, Matthew 8. So it's right after the Sermon on the Mount, he goes back to Capernaum. 
the first thing is a Roman centurion. And it's just hard for, I think, a lot of people without the historical context to understand just how reviled, yeah. how dirty, how how awful pagan a Roman was considered yeah. to all of Jesus' people. Yeah. And Why would you be nice to our foreign oppressors? Yes. <laughs> and it, it blew me away. And I think I may have seen this for the, my eyes were opened at the first time. But when the Roman says, hey, I've got the servant back at home. He's struggling. I really would like you to heal him. And Jesus says, would you like me to go with you and see him? Yeah. And he's basically saying, can I come to your home? Yeah. Which was so so crossing the boundaries yeah. of uh, of Jesus people um, it and I just saw it maybe for the first time of just how powerful it was is his willingness to say yeah I'll go to the house of a Roman yeah. centurion yeah <laughs> I'm willing to do that yeah. I'll go to the enemy and that was that was a beautiful practical example and application of what he had just told them on the mountain. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up because there, you can trace it all the way through. Jesus names the categories in the Beatitudes. He teaches further about it in the Sermon on the Mount. And then he lives out these paths in all the, the stories that we see in the gospels. He models yes. it for us. So, so cool. That's so amazing. Mark Skandrak, thank you so much for joining me. I wish we had more time and I look forward to um, another conversation at some point. Um, I, I have a copy, I believe, to give away of the Ninefold Path of Jesus um, and would be happy to do that. So uh, any of my listeners, the first listener I hear from that would like a copy, uh, Mark and his publisher are going to make that happen. And uh, tell us where people can find you. Tell us how how my listeners can yeah. connect with you and find out more about you. Great. So um, I have a website called markscandret.com, spelled M-A-R-K-S-C-A-N-D-R-E-T-T-E.com. And um, the book's available at, at um, University Press dot com uh, ivp.com and then um, the lab that we created you can find at a site called ninefoldpath.org and a couple times a year we actually uh, it, uh, offer uh, for people to go through the ninefold path lab with us which the book is based on and we'd love to have some of your listeners join us uh, sometime we're scheduling the next labs for uh, fall of 2022, and so many people have said this this lab experience reignited my spiritual life and brought about so much transformation. And so we we love getting in the getting in the lab and taking on practices inspired by the Beatitudes together. That's awesome, and I know you mentioned your. Uh, your great work and relationship with the UK. I've got family and loved ones and friends in the UK. Uh, what's going on there? And is there anything that people can connect with you who are in the UK? Yeah. If, um, if you go to, go to, um, go to my website, if you sign up to our email list, we'll, I'll definitely be in the UK 
um, you know, I think around September, uh, October, uh, September of 2022, we, we usually get there about twice a year and do some events in different places. And, um, and, uh, actually we, you know, Tom, it's crazy, but the, the labs that we do have people from all over the world. So we do a couple at a time. So this week I was with, uh, I was with folks in Edinburgh and, and London on a, on a lab last year, we had people from 20 different countries on our labs. So we try and schedule it for different time zones. So it doesn't matter where in the world you live. There's probably a, a, a lab that you could sign up for that works for you. Okay. That's awesome. Mark Scandret, thanks so much for joining me. Come back again soon. Yeah. Enjoy talking with you, Tom. Peace. Thank you, my friend, for joining me on the Wayfarer Weekend Podcast. Always feel free to share this podcast or any chapter they post or podcast with anyone, anywhere. It is free. No matter where you find yourself on this road of life and in your own spiritual journey, I'd like to leave you with a blessing. And I hope you receive it. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. May the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand.